I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and very little security. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals like you, to support my work so I can continue to do what I do. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy, on Substack, meganmurphy.substack.com, or directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with Toby Young, the founder of the Free Speech Union and the Daily Skeptic. All three of Toby Young's PayPal accounts, including the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union's accounts, were frozen on September 15th for no reason at all. They were reinstated this week, but the fight isn't over. Thank you for joining me, Toby. Thanks, Megan. So we actually have good news today, which I honestly didn't expect. (laughs) I mean, sort of good news for you in any case. Um, PayPal banned your Free Speech Union and Daily Skeptic Union accounts on September 15th. And then I believe a couple days ago reinstated them. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So PayPal banned my personal account and the accounts of the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union, which caused an extraordinary headache for me because about a third of the Free Speech Union's 9,500 members are paying their recurring membership dues using PayPal. And um, about a quarter of the donors to the Daily Skeptic are also making their donations via PayPal. So um, it was, you know, an existential threat to the survival of those enterprises. Um, uh, So it was really serious. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I run a website too, and currently all donations are coming in through PayPal. And a lot of people have been canceling lately, which I totally support, but um, you know, sucks for our longevity, although we're working on getting a Stripe donation uh, button set up so that people can move over. Um, but a lot of people, and you know, particularly people who are running like websites, podcasts, media stuff, I mean, anything where you receive donations, I feel like is probably going to be connected to PayPal, which puts us in a really precarious situation. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're essentially um, a monopoly provider in in the UK. I don't know about the US, but in the UK, they are eight times larger than their nearest competitor. And as you say, lots of um, uh, businesses, lots of uh, websites, alternative media um, uh, of, of various kinds depend on PayPal for their survival. So if PayPal decides um, it's going to start shutting down accounts because um, people or organizations are expressing views that for one reason or another they disapprove of, then that's really serious and um, poses a real threat to freedom of speech. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Um, 
So what does the Free Speech Union do? So the Free Speech Union um, is an organization I set up in uh, February of 2020 to uh, defend free speech. And it does that. Um, uh, it's a membership organization. So if you join the Free Speech Union, and it's not expensive. It's like membership starts at about £2.49 a month, which at the moment is roughly $2.49, given the uh, weakness of the pound. Um, and um, if you get into trouble, if an outrage mob comes for you, um, we will defend you. Um, and in some cases, we'll um, engage lawyers to do that. We've got two full-time lawyers uh, on the company payroll. We've got a legal advisory council consisting of 50 plus lawyers. And we frequently do go to bat for people in court um, who find themselves in trouble simply for exercising their lawful right to free speech. Um, we also put on events. So um, uh, we had a book party on Tuesday for Andrew Doyle, um, the creator of the sublime Titania McGrath character on Twitter, amongst other achievements. And he's written a great new book called The New Puritans, comparing um, uh, woke ideologues to um, witch finders in 17th century Salem. Um, and we had a book party for him. I interviewed him on stage and we, we have those sorts of events all the time. Um, and we also publish frequently asked questions um, uh, for our members who kind of uh, uh, want to know, for instance, what to do if they're asked to declare their gender pronouns in the workplace on their email signatures and so forth. What to do about that if they're asked to do that and they don't want to do it? What are their rights? What can they uh, legitimately decline to do without risking their jobs. Um, so, uh, you know, it provides those sort of three functions, research and lobbying, um, events and entertainment, and most importantly, um, protecting people when um, cancellation mobs come for them. Can I ask you, since you mentioned this, and I get this question quite often, and I don't know that I have a great answer, but what do you tell people to do if they're asked to include their gender pronouns in like, I don't know, their work email signature, or I know that it often happens to people I know in meetings, you have a Zoom meeting and everyone's asked to announce their pronouns before the meeting starts and on and on and on. What what should people do if they don't want to participate in that? Well, I think, I think, um, I think they should just politely decline. Um, uh, you know, um, try and do so in a civil way. And um, if you're asked why, um, you could either appeal to privacy or you could boldly state that um, the fact that you are being asked to declare your pronouns um, uh, is, is implicitly an endorsement of gender critical ideology. And it's an ideology you don't share. So um, people may think of it as a kind of uh, fairly innocuous kind of politically neutral thing to do. Why would anyone make a fuss? But actually, it's not politically neutral. It's not innocuous. It effectively tacitly endorses um, gender ideology. Um, and if, if you have problems with that particular ideology, um, then um, you won't want to do that. Uh, and that's, that's the main reason members of ours don't want to do it. Um, most of them are gender critical feminists and don't see why they should effectively be forced to endorse a point of view that in their opinion denies sex-based women's rights so yeah you could you could go into depth and detail about it if you want to but my advice would just be to politely decline and just appeal to privacy unless you want to get into an argument yeah and i mean i've thought about it i don't know if this would stand up in a court or as like a legal argument but i've thought about it in terms of a religious freedom issue because gender identity ideology is a religion you know it's faith-based as far as i'm concerned and I would 
say, or one of the things I might say if I were in that situation would be like, this isn't my religion. You know, it's akin to me as saying, as being forced to say, I believe in God or announcing a religious affiliation at the beginning of a meeting or putting that in my email signature. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's what it's, 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 it's compelled speech and um, to compel someone to effectively endorse an ideology that they don't share um, is a breach of article 10 of the European convention on human rights. So, you know, I think if people, if people are punished by their employers in the UK anyway, for refusing to state their preferred gender pronouns in the workplace, then they would have, um, you know, a, a, a decent shot at suing their employer in the European court of human rights. And what does the daily skeptic do? I'm yeah, the Daily Skeptic is um, a website. It's like a, a news publishing website. I started in April 2020, just when Britain went into lockdown for the first time. And it was originally called Lockdown Skeptics. And it became a kind of meeting place for people who were skeptical about lockdowns and associated COVID restrictions like mask wearing. Um, and, um, uh, and you know, it, 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 I, I contribute to it. Um, we have a lot of uh, authors, intellectuals, scientists, professors writing for it. And it's become a kind of focal point uh, or became a focal point during the lockdowns for kind of informed, intelligent, evidence-based criticisms of the lockdown policy and associated restrictions. But when all the restrictions were lifted in the UK on July 19th of last year, um, uh, we broadened it out and it became the daily skeptic. And now we're more broadly skeptical about all kinds of policies supposedly informed by quote unquote the science, but which actually have um, uh, not a great deal of um, scientific validity. Right. And I mean, I, when, I remember when I interviewed you for the first time, which was in April 2020, I believe you described yourself as a COVID skeptic. And you were like one of the first ones, as far as I'm concerned, who I think you were speaking out about what was going on with regard to COVID and the lockdowns and what you feared was to come. Um, and I actually learned a lot from talking to you and people like Peter Hitchens and some other people, because at first, like the first one, it was just, you know, like two weeks, I was on board and I was like, everybody stop whining. And then I was like, oh no, they're right. <laughs> this is bad. And I had to take that all back. But what was it that kind of tipped you off early on? I think it was just an instinctive dislike of um, uh, all our freedoms being taken away in one fell swoop by an overbearing state. Um, I, I, I just felt instinctively that that was dangerous and wrong. Um, and um, and I didn't think it would just be two weeks to flatten the curve. And I feared that if we just stood calmly uh, by when the state um, encroached interfered with our liberty in this way, um, then that would effectively provide the state with a license to do so again. Um, and um, so it proved to be after, you know, the first lockdown, we had lockdown number two in the UK, and then we had lockdown number three. Um, and it's not inconceivable that, um, you know, if uh, if monkeypox 
becomes more prevalent than it is at present, there'll be another lockdown. Or if there's another wave of COVID in the UK, there'll be another lockdown. So I think we have to be very vigilant about it. But um, yeah, I think it was the, the, the interference in our liberty on a scale hitherto never seen before, certainly on these islands, um, uh, which, which, was, which set the alarm off for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, even Biden has said, you know, the pandemic's over. Most of the mandates have been lifted, even finally in Canada, which I didn't expect. But I think Trudeau got so much pressure and he's become so unpopular from what I can see because of what he did to the truckers, um, to the Freedom Convoy, to supporters of the truckers and the Freedom Convoy. Um, what he said about people were who were opposed to his you know, authoritarian mandates to the mask mandates, you know, he called them racist, he called them misogynist, he froze the bank accounts of people who were either involved in the convoy or supporting the convoy, which is insane. And, you know, not something I would have expected to ever see happen in Canada. But, you know, just recently, he's been forced to lift his stupid vaccine mandates for flying um, and the mask mandates. And, I mean, but do, do you think this is over? Like, is this actually over? Or are we going to see more COVID No, I crap? don't. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Um, I, I, I'm not at all confident that there won't be um, attempts to lock us down again, um, but perhaps for different reasons. But, um, you know, certainly if there's another viral outbreak, um, you can imagine the same policy being imposed on us again. Um, it still happens in China whenever there's an outbreak of COVID. Um, uh, they don't seem to have rode back at all on their zero COVID strategy. I mean, one of the surprising things about Trudeau um, becoming so authoritarian um, about lockdowns in Canada and vaccine mandates and um, crushing the freedom convoy in such an illiberal way is that, you know, he styles himself a progressive. He's a man of the left. And the people who suffered the most from the lockdown policy were the most disadvantaged in our society. The elderly, children, um, you know, the very poor. Um, People like Trudeau um, didn't suffer in the slightest. Uh, And it just seems extraordinary. There was this kind of blindness to the suffering caused by those policies to the least well off. You would have thought that, you know, someone who styles themselves a progressive and thinks of themselves as being on the left would have a bit more compassion for all the suffering to the least well-off caused by the policies he was pursuing. But there was a kind of willful blindness to the effect of the lockdown policies and the associated restrictions by the advocates uh, for the policy. I mean, it was it was more the left on the whole was kind of much more enthusiastic about lockdowns than the right. I mean, it didn't always split along those lines, but broadly speaking, and it looks as though that's going to be um, uh, one of the big issues in the U.S. presidential election in 24. Um, uh, uh, and it just, it just, I, I still haven't quite got my head around why it was that uh, the left uh, was such enthusiasts, by and large, for a policy that caused the least well-off to suffer the most. I've never been able to figure that out either, um, except that what I think has happened in part is that <clears throat> the left have become the elite and have lost touch with working class people. Um, but I mean, that's that's the same thing that happened in Canada. Progressives and the left 
across the board, really, I mean, it was it probably was even more divided in Canada than it was in the U.S. Um, Canada is like a pretty progressive place or is seems to be that way anyway. They position themselves in that way. And most of the people that I know in Canada from my home in Vancouver are progressive people, vote left, maybe liberal, but, you know, never conservative, never right wing. And they all supported the mandates. They all participated in vilifying people who didn't want to get vaccinated, vilifying the truckers, vilifying people just who criticized the mandates. And even now, I just saw the other day this, you know, the the party, the Socialist Party of Vancouver is running a candidate. And I'm sure all the other candidates probably agree with his perspective, who totally slandered and libeled and vilified the anti-maskers and the anti-vaxxers as fascists and as racist. Like these are the socialists. Like these are people who are supposed to be on the side of the working class fighting for the marginalized and they're vilifying, you know, the, the voiceless in Canada. And I don't mean literally voiceless because they have of course spoken out, but they've been completely silenced by Canadian media um, and have not been really represented at all in really any mainstream Canadian media and then have been vilified by politicians and people who do have power and a voice. And I cannot figure out what the rationale for that is. They, you know, these are the same people who support social media bans and, you know, supported, I saw you write about, wrote about, I can't remember his name, but somebody who wrote an article for the New Statesman, I believe, who essentially supported the idea that, you know, PayPal is a private company, so they can deny services to whoever they like. And it's the same thing as a baker deciding he doesn't want to bake a cake um, for a gay marriage because it goes against his religion. Yeah, that was um, that was uh, an extraordinary article. Um, yeah, you wouldn't, but sort of maybe not that surprising that um, the New Statesman, which is a left wing magazine, you know, the the house magazine of the intellectual left in the UK uh, should be one of the, the only publications to actually defend um, PayPal's decision to censor me uh, and the Free Speech Union. Um, quite extraordinary. Um, and uh, it, 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 the idea that it's odd to, to see kind of people on the left appealing to a kind of libertarian argument for freedom of association to justify PayPal's actions, you know, uh, but when you think about it, it's just a form of discrimination, um, just as, you know, PayPal. I mean, I don't think it would be a grotesque encroachment on um, PayPal's freedom of association to say you're not allowed to discriminate against customers on the basis of their skin color. Um, uh, uh, a few liberals, I think, would object to that um, uh, infringement of PayPal's liberty. Uh, but by the same token, why should PayPal be free to discriminate against people on the basis of their political beliefs? Um, you know, if PayPal was a company based in the UK, um, it's actually headquartered in Luxembourg in Europe, PayPal Europe is, um, then the, we might have had a case against PayPal under the Equality Act 2010, which prohibits discrimination based on um, religion or philosophical belief. Um, but because it's headquartered in Luxembourg, we didn't have that uh, remedy um, at our disposal. But yeah, it was extraordinary to, to, to read that piece in the New Statesman. I think my theory about why the progressive left were such enthusiasts for lockdown, for the most part, is it's what um, 
a sociology student um, at Cambridge University, Rob Henderson, calls a luxury belief. So luxury beliefs are beliefs which um, virtue signal. So if you profess those beliefs, um, then you, 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 you think you sound virtuous. You sound like one of the good guys, but, but, but they don't cost you anything to advocate them. Um, uh, and in the case of lockdown, I think it was very easy for, you know, people in um, the media, people in banking, people in the accountancy sector, um, uh, politicians. It was very easy for people like that to advocate the lockdown policy because it costed them nothing. You know, it it was perfectly, perfectly possible for them to work from home. They had great Wi-Fi, you know, and if they had kids, they were probably at private schools and the private schools were pretty good at providing remote learning for their pupils. So it cost them nothing. And what they got from advocating the policy was really a way of advertising that it cost them nothing because they were members of the elite. It was a kind of a way of advertising, signaling to people that you are a very privileged person. And you can advocate this policy because your privileged lifestyle means it will cost you nothing. And that's, I think, what made it so attractive. It became a high status indicator amongst the kind of professional elite to advocate for this policy, which um, cost them nothing because they were members of the elite. And in terms of Trudeau's, not just support for these kinds of lockdowns and mandates and so on and so forth, but really, you know, he acted like, a total bully. Um, and he was trying to find people and threatening to jail people. And then, as we mentioned earlier, doing things like freezing people's bank accounts. I mean, what's in it for him to support these lockdowns and these vaccine mandates and to vilify anybody who questions or opposes them as dangerous terror terrorists and again misogynist racist fascist yeah. so on and so forth well my 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 kind of overarching theory as to why so many politicians um uh leapt on lockdowns um as the as 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 an attractive effective response to the covid pandemic um even though you know there was very little evidence before the policy was embraced that it would be effective it had very rarely been tried before. It wasn't recommended by the WHO when it wrote its paper in 2019 about what to do if there's a viral outbreak. The UK's pandemic preparedness strategy recommended against quarantining the, the, the healthy as well as the sick. So it was a largely untried, untested, novel policy, which which almost the entire political class across the world kind of embraced in lockstep. Why did they do that? I think um, I think they 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 were terrified that if they weren't seen to be doing something, then unnecessary deaths might be hung around their necks at the next kind of electoral contest they were involved in. So they felt they had to be seen to be doing something without really caring whether it was effective or not. They didn't really, you know, uh, in Britain there was no cost benefit analysis. There was no consideration of whether the uh, cure might be worse than the disease. They just kind of leapt headlong into this policy because it was a way of seeming to do something. And, 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 and the fact that everyone else was doing it as well gave them a kind of insurance. It was like, well, it might turn out to be wrong, but everyone else was doing it. So, you know, who was I to challenge the overwhelming consensus of the kind of all my colleagues, all these other heads of state across the world? Um, uh, so I think I think that, that it's it sort of political 
self-preservation, you know, calculation. I think that's why people like Trudeau embraced the policy so enthusiastically. They, they, it was a kind of a form of insurance protecting themselves against um, uh, being accused of not doing enough, you know, at the next election. Right. I mean, ironically, I think, I mean, it remains to be seen. We'll see what happens next time an election comes around. But I think that in the end, it did turn a lot of people against Trudeau, although he was reelected during the pandemic. So there you go. But it seems like he's majority. But I, I do think he'll lose next time. I think so, too. I mean, I get the impression that people are going to vote conservative, especially now that uh, Pierre Polyev is now that he's the leader of the party and he's been super outspoken and super critical of all this stuff and of Trudeau. And I think that's brought a lot of people over. I've never voted conservative in my life in Canada. In fact, I always voted NDP, which is our left labor party, which is just as bad as a liberal party, if not worse, that they, you know, are never going to win a federal election. They won provincial elections um, and they, they do have some power, but you know, like I'm going to vote conservative in the next election. <laughs> and I don't think I'm alone in making that decision. But anyway, I want to get back to the PayPal thing. So, you know, so we know the free speech union is defending people against cancel culture, um, defending people's free speech rights. The Daily Skeptic is asking questions about, you know, COVID mandates and government overreach and those kinds of things. Why were these accounts banned? Why were you targeted by PayPal? Well, I still don't know. Um, because PayPal um, has been um, completely unwilling, really, to engage in any kind of dialogue about it. Um, when all three accounts were closed down, and they were closed down within minutes of each other, they were all told that they'd breached PayPal's acceptable use policy um, uh, without offering any more detail than that. Um, and I appealed all three decisions. Those appeals were unsuccessful. Um, I wrote to the CEO of PayPal UK. He didn't reply. I contacted the corporate affairs departments of PayPal UK and PayPal US. No response at all. Um, uh, a, 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 I, got a, I eventually got um, a response to an appeal uh, on the Daily Skeptic account, which sort of obliquely, not explicitly, but uh, the implication was that the Daily Skeptic had breached um, uh, uh, PayPal's policy on not promoting hate, violence or racial intolerance. Uh, and I've no idea, you know, what articles they, they imagined breached that policy on the Daily Skeptic. There was no detail offered, no articles singled out, nothing like that. Um, uh, and then when a Times of London journalist contacted someone in um, corporate affairs in the UK, um, they were told that the Daily Skeptic account had been closed because it spread COVID-19 misinformation. Oh. Um, and I guess that, that's a, that, that, that may have been a reference to the fact that we um, have published a number of articles um, expressing reservations about the um, mRNA COVID vaccines. Um, our, we don't have a, you know, we are not an anti-vax publication. Um, I've been vaccinated. My kids, I mean, I haven't, been, I haven't taken the COVID vaccines, but I've been vaccinated against most things. My kids have too. Um, and um, But we've certainly expressed reservations. We've drawn attention to uh, research uh, published in scientific journals, which um, raises questions about the efficacy and safety of some of the COVID vaccines. And maybe that's what they mean by um, COVID vaccine misinformation. But in any event, they abandoned these two reasons when 
um, last Tuesday, they restored all of my accounts. Um, uh, so I guess we weren't in the end guilty of breaching the acceptable use policy because they decided to restore all three accounts. But that was only after a tremendous backlash uh, in the British press and in Parliament over here. Uh, an MP asked a question about it in Parliament. Um, uh, 42 um, parliamentarians signed a letter to the business secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg, saying you've got to hold PayPal to account. And he then was quoted in a newspaper saying he thought that what PayPal had done was wrong. It was an example of cancel culture. So there was a head of steam a political head of steam building up over here about what PayPal had done. And people were concerned about not just their shutting down of the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union account, but there was an account belonging to um, a parent group called Us For Them, which lobbied against school closures during the lockdowns uh, over here. And we now, I think more or less everyone now accepts that closing schools was certainly something that did more harm than good. And I don't think it would happen again, even if we went into another lockdown. But for some reason, us for them's account was shut down by PayPal. It's almost exactly the same time as my three accounts were shut down by PayPal. So there was a real backlash. And that's, I think, ultimately why PayPal did a reverse ferret and changed its mind. And of course, we won't now suddenly be using PayPal again as if, you know, we can kiss and make up. I mean, um, I've, I've said publicly that we won't be using PayPal again unless PayPal restore the accounts of all the individuals and organizations that they've shut um, uh, for purely political reasons and promise never to do it again. And I don't think they are going to promise not to do that. Um, so um, what we're doing is the Free Speech Union in particular is lobbying for a change in the law to make it impossible for financial services companies to um, uh, withhold services from people whose political views, provided they're perfectly lawful, um, they disapprove of. Um, uh, and I hope that we will get a change to the law for that effect. I mean, we need to stop the emergence of a Chinese-style social credit system um, across the West, which is what we're beginning to see. That's how Trudeau crushed the Freedom Convoy. He uh, persuaded Canadian banks to freeze the bank accounts of the protesters um, and their supporters. Um, GoFundMe um, demonetized um, the supporters of um, uh, the Freedom Convoy. Um, we really have to stop financial services being weaponized in this way um, uh, in order to enforce conformity with ideological dogma. That happens in China, and that's because China is not a free country. We don't want to see that kind of authoritarian um, uh, uh, system rolled out across the West. We need, to, we need to nip it in the bud. Right. Do you think that we're moving towards a cashless society and, and therefore, you know, dependence on these kinds of digital platforms? Yeah, no question about it. And that's what makes it so dangerous. You know, this is, I think, the front line in the ongoing war against free speech. Um, you know, it's one thing to be kicked off Twitter or Facebook or YouTube um, or to be shadow banned. Um, uh, you know, that that's bad enough just for having, you know, the wrong opinions about an issue like whether trans women should be able to compete with women in women's sports or access women's refuges or enter women's changing rooms and so forth. You know, it's bad enough not being allowed to express a particular point of view on that issue across social media. Um, but it's actually worse if you have banking facilities, payment processing facilities withheld from you, withdrawn from you, uh, if you express those contentious opinions. That That, that is a, a serious escalation in the war on free speech. And in, in our case, you know, I mean, it, it, to, to, to demonetize the free speech union, we don't express, you know, contentious views. We don't take a position 
on a whole range of issues. You know, uh, we just defend people's right to take positions, um, to set out their arguments in the public square, however contentious they might be. Um, but if, 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 if PayPal considers that unacceptable, and that, that's, I think, a new low. Yeah, I actually I got an email from PayPal a couple of days ago saying that they were updating their acceptable use policy, which I mean, I get these emails fairly regularly and I usually don't read all the way through, but I was curious to read all the way through this time in light of what had happened to you. And it said that in this may not be new, but it does say in their acceptable use policy, which is going to be implemented in November, um, you may not use PayPal services for activities that, among other things, I'm not going to read this whole thing, um, involve the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that in PayPal's sole discretion are harmful, obscene, harass harassing, or objectionable um, that depict, promote, or incite hatred or discrimination of protected groups or of individuals or groups based on protected characteristics, e.g. race, religion, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, etc. Like they don't, they're not even that specific and they didn't name sex. They just said gender, gender identity. Um, and then are at the end, it says are otherwise unfit for publication. <laughs> so that like could be anything at PayPal's sole discretion that are objectionable or unfit for publishing? It, they, they, they need reining in. Um, uh, I mean, PayPal already um, have a track record of shutting down gender critical individuals and organizations. So Colin Wright, um, uh, who has a you know PhD in evolutionary biology um, uh, and often you know um, expresses um, his gender critical positions. Um, uh, and uh, he had his PayPal account shut down um, in June of this year. And when he asked them why, they said that he'd have to subpoena them if he wanted to find out why. But I, I think we know why. It's because um, gender critical views um, are considered to be hate speech um, by PayPal. Um, that's why they shut down the account of Gays for Groomers um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, though curiously, uh, there is a, a, a site called Prost a group called Prostasia. I don't know if you've heard about them, Megan, but um, uh, they include within their organization a support group for minor attracted persons. Um, so it's okay to fund um, an organization that that has a support group within it for minor attracted persons, but if you're a member, but gays for groomers, that's not acceptable. That's out of bounds as far as PayPal is concerned. Or saying that there's a difference between males and females. That's unacceptable. But pedophiles, yeah. okay. I, I mean, when people, when people appeal to that standard, when they say, um, uh, yes, I believe in free speech, but I don't think that should be extended to hate speech. I don't think they realize, you know, um, how nebulous um, uh, the phrase hate speech is and how subjective it is and how it's weaponized frequently um, to shut down opinions of um, that people just happen to disagree with. Um, you know, a good example is um, the um, feminist campaigner uh, Posey Parker. She tried to start a petition on a petition site called change.org. You're probably familiar with it. I think it's global. Um, and in her petition, she asked the Oxford English Dictionary not to change its definition of woman to something other than adult human female. So her petition was urging the OED to keep 
the definition of woman as adult human female. And her petition was removed by change.org on the grounds that it was hate speech. So defining a woman as an adult human female is in the eyes of this huge big tech social media platform, hate speech. Um, uh, so when people think that hate speech is just an unambiguous, clear, objective standard, uh, they're mistaken. Um, saying a woman can't have a penis is hate speech. Yeah. Who's behind this? Like, who owns PayPal? Who's making these decisions? Who decided that your free speech union and the Daily Skeptic and, you know, Colin Wright, a gaze against groomers are so bad that they needed to have their accounts canceled? Well, Dan Schulman, who is the CEO of um, PayPal um, globally, uh, like the top guy, um, he um, he uh, gave a speech, I think, at Davos this year um, uh, in which he uh, described himself as a thought leader um, in um, tackling the promotion of hate speech, um, hatred and intolerance and misinformation across the Internet. And he wants he wants to he wants to, he wants PayPal to be, you know, a. Uh, 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 one one of one of the um global leaders in big tech um to tackle this uh, serious problem which is undermining democracy um so i think he it, it must come from the top it must come from him um any anything which um you know um uh, in his in his view um uh, isn't isn't consistent with paypal's values um uh, by which it means the usual kind of woke litany of shibboleths um, uh, is in his view hate speech or misinformation, and he wants to lead the world in suppressing it. Did they tell you why your accounts were reinstated? Yeah, they said. Um, well, they said in the the email that all three accounts got exactly the same email. Um, they said that the after a review, as though that's all it had been. You know, they initially said my accounts were permanently closed. They didn't say they were under review but anyway it said in the in the emails after a review we have decided to reinstate your account um and it also referred to input um uh from its stakeholders and customers um uh and i think that might might have been a reference to the fact that you know thousands of people if not tens of thousands of people closed their paypal accounts um out of sympathy um uh, uh solidarity um, with the Free Speech Union and the Daily Skeptic. I mean, I got, I literally got thousands of messages via Facebook, Twitter, email, um, Instagram from people telling me that they'd closed their their PayPal accounts out of solidarity and they'd, they'd let PayPal know why too. So it could be that they were actually beginning to lose business as a result of this overreach. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I, I thank all those people that did that. I mean, I do think it was very helpful. I also think uh, questions being asked in Parliament, senior politicians condemning it, the possibility of a change in the law to make this kind of thing more difficult in the future. All of that would have had a quite a sobering effect, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I noticed it over the last couple of days. Like, we lost a whole bunch of people on PayPal. Um, and I did see people in the comments telling me to to cancel that as a donation system. And And like I said, we're working on it today, actually, to get connected to Stripe instead. Um, but I mean, I guess in terms of that argument, 
that we heard in the New Statesman, but we've heard this all over the place in regard to big tech and, for example, Twitter bans um, or YouTube censorship. These are private companies. They can choose to deny service if they like. Um, and, you know, in particular, that comparison to, you know, they can decide not to offer services to Toby if they don't like what he's doing, just like this baker has the right not to bake a cake for a gay marriage. I mean, how do you respond to that yeah, argument? It's, it's, I think it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the um, Asher's case, which is the, that was the name of the bakery, which um, uh, eventually won its case. Um, in the um, European Court of no, I think it was in the in the in the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom, um, and um, it won its case because um, uh, it was an example of compelled speech. Uh, you know, forcing uh, the, the, the these Christian bakers to bake a cake uh, for a gay wedding and to um, write a message on that cake, uh, which effectively endorsed the institution of you know um uh, a gay marriage um that was an example of compelled speech they were being compelled to endorse a particular belief which they didn't hold um no one's asking paypal to endorse you know any of my beliefs um they're, they're just asking them to you know process the payments the people that want to join my organizations or donate to my organizations so it's completely different you know i mean if 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 if, if i was saying to paypal you have to sign up to every aspect of my agenda, then I think PayPal could legitimately say, no, we're not going to do that. But that's, it's a completely, you know, incomparable. Right. And so in terms of, you said that you, you all are going to focus on changing the law so that companies like PayPal can't actually legally do this. What's the legal precedent there? I mean, what would we have to do in Canada or what would we have to do in the US to stop companies like this? What are you working on doing in the UK? Yeah, well, we've got a team of lawyers working on this. Um, and I saw the first draft of the amendment that they've come up with tonight. And it looked quite promising to me. Essentially, it said, um, if um, a financial services company um, uh, withholds service from a particular customer, um, and um, uh, the reason for doing that is because they disapprove of their perfectly lawful political beliefs, then um, the regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, uh, will tell them to restore the account. And if they don't, um, the customer would then have the right to sue the company for damages. And that's the sort of that's the gist of it. And I think that, 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 that I think something along those lines um, is what we need and, and will be effective. And do you think that that those kinds of laws can be applied to companies like Twitter and YouTube and Facebook as well? I know that they've been fighting in some states, for example. Yeah, in the state of Texas, they passed a law, I think, last year, uh, making it illegal to for um, big social media companies to kick people off their platforms um, because they dislike their political views, provided those views are perfectly lawful. And that was tested um, in a court in Texas um, last week and um, withstood the test. And it looks like it'll now go to the Supreme Court. Um, but if the Supreme Court um, doesn't strike down that law, then that, I think, uh, uh, points the way forward. 
Um, and I'd like to see other states pass similar laws. And I'd like to see the UK pass a similar law too. Um, you know, these people should be neutral referees. Um, they are effectively the public square. And to have one side on a whole range of issues, you know, making the rules um, uh, uh, to favour their side is just not on. And, um, you know, I don't think it would be um, uh, an encroachment, an, un an unacceptable encroachment on their freedom of association to say you can't discriminate against your users in this way. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's unhealthy for democracy. Um, we need free speech if we're going to elect the right leaders, make informed decisions, um, wrestle with issues like, you know, where to draw the line between trans rights and women's rights when the two conflict. You can't just say there is it's it's our way or the highway. And if you disagree with us, we're going to kick you off the platforms. We're going to silence you. We're going to demonetize you. I mean, it's it's uh, it's completely undemocratic. It's an affront to liberty. Uh, so I think laws along the lines that have been passed in Texas are completely acceptable. And I hope uh, the Supreme Court agrees with me. Mm hmm. Why is big tech so woke? Like, why has big tech across the board decided to embrace these ideologies? Like, it's really weird. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's a good question. Um, uh, and I think it's um, I think it's to do with um, a kind of um, uh, a crisis within the sort of meritocratic cognitive elite. I think that um, they suffered a couple of really serious blows um, uh, to their credibility, their authority. You know, the, uh, there was the global credit crunch, the war in Iraq, both seemed kind of, you know, disastrous. And, um, uh, and then the, uh, that led to a kind of major populist backlash um, with the election of Trump in 2016, the Brexit vote in the UK in 2016. Um, and um, I think they, 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 they realized their authority was ebbing away. You know, this sort of international, professional, cognitive elite that meet in Davos every year under the auspices of the World Economic Forum. Um, and they, they realized it, they, they needed to somehow restore their authority, their legitimacy, you know, and, and it, it used to be based on their expertise, the fact that they knew more than everyone else and they could make these, they could make better decisions. It was right that they were running things and had as much money and power as they did because they were experts. They knew what was best for us. Um, it turned out their expertise, you know, was um, pretty fragile and they kept getting big things wrong. And I think they got the lockdown policy completely wrong too. Um, but I think one way to try and restore their authority um, was to embrace this kind of new quasi-religious doctrine um, whereby they become our kind of moral guides. Um, you know, um, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion is um, their, their contribution to the world, a way of improving the world, of making it better, of making amends for the past sins of heteronormative white men. Um, it kind of gave them a kind of a, a moral crusade, which kind of justified their enormous power and money. I think I think I think I think that had something to do with it. Um, uh, but it's also, you know, um, it just seems to be the kind of uh, I think, you know, the, the ebbing away of the Christian tide has obviously um, played a part too. 
Um, people, you know, they want a sense of meaning and purpose. They don't just want to think what they're doing is just about making money, maximizing value for their shareholders. They want to feel like they're doing some good in the world as well. And they no longer get that kind of sense of meaning and purpose, higher purpose from religion that's kind of gone out of fashion. So this is an alternative. Um, I think that that's a part of it too. Um, a couple of um, more cynical people than me have suggested that actually it's in the interests of these large capitalist corporations to embrace kind of wokery pokery because they know it drives ordinary people completely crazy. So when Gillette kind of wages a campaign against toxic masculinity, um, uh, you know, it, 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 ordinary people, when they see these ads, when they look at the kind of pride flags kind of flying above all the banks on the high street and so forth, you know, it drives them nuts that all these people who are their kind of social and economic superiors are also claiming to be their moral, sorry, superiors are also claiming to be their moral superiors and wagging their fingers at them for being deplorable and bigoted and the rest of it. And that drives them nuts and into the arms of, you know, right wing demagogues um, like Donald Trump. And that makes regulation of these big corporations much less, much less likely. So they're doing it for kind of cynical, self-interested Machiavellian reasons. They're promoting an ideology and throwing it into the faces of ordinary people with a view to driving them completely nuts. So they'll run screaming into the arms of uh, right wing leaders who are then uh, uh, won't be as inclined as their left wing counterparts to regulate these companies or tax them. So that, that's one theory. Right. And I, I mean, I think that there's been a number of people who would be labeled conspiracy theorists who saw the COVID lockdowns, the COVID mandates and all of that as connected to the move to a cashless society. Um, and so further, you know, state power in that regard, also potentially leading to and connected to, uh, social credit system similar to China's. I mean, I, I'm not much of a conspiracy theory person, but I mean, it is a grasp at power. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a cock up than conspiracy person. I believe in, um, I think it's called um, Hanlon's law. Uh, whereby, you know, um, uh, never attribute to um, Machiavellian diabolical conspiracy what can be explained by rank stupidity. And um, I think that that law usually applies. Um, but I do think that in the case of um, the lockdown policy, um, I don't think that, you know, Klaus Schwab from his kind of um, eagle's nest in the Alps was kind of calling up people like Trudeau and urging them to um, impose a lockdown and, you know, threatening them with exposure of compromat if they refuse to do so. Um, I don't think it happened like that. But I think that, um, you know, the uh, international elite um, did quite quickly agree um, on a particular narrative frame. Um, you know, uh, uh, they agreed that the lockdown policy was the the right way to mitigate the effects of this new virus. Um, and that became very quickly um, uh, the way, the lens through which uh, the, 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 the pandemic was viewed. And I think that's, I don't think, I think that 
insofar as there is any conspiring, I think there there may be a degree of collaboration and cooperation when it comes to deciding how to frame these issues, what the narrative should be. And that in turn becomes very powerful in driving behavior. But I don't think it goes beyond that. I don't think there's a degree of collaboration and conspiring beyond that. So if people want to cancel their PayPal accounts and for, you know, people who are wanting to support the Free Speech Union and the Daily Skeptic, what platforms can they use instead? Well, I think Stripe seem to be a pretty good bet. Um, we've been using Stripe um, at the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union since the beginning. Um, and we've never had a problem with Stripe. And when PayPal closed our accounts, we wrote to all those people that are affected and urged them to switch to Stripe. And that hasn't created any problems so far. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Stripe as an alternative to PayPal. But there are plenty of other alternatives out there too. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, so far Stripe has seemed good on the free speech issue. And I know Stripe is what platforms, well, what Substack Substack uses. And Substack is super committed to free speech, which is awesome. I'm really happy with them. Um, Someone in the comments asks... Well, I can answer this actually. Can people outside the UK join the S or the FSU? And I'm a member, so I know that you can. But do you represent people outside of the UK? Well, we can only do a limited amount. Um, so they certainly get invited to our online events, um, and um, they have access to all our briefing materials, our frequently asked questions, and so forth. But we can't offer to, we can't offer them uh, legal help um, because it's a different legal. If they'll be in a different legal jurisdiction and we can't claim to have any legal expertise about other jurisdictions. And we can offer them a minimal amount of, you know, PR help um, and we can refer them to, um, you know, our in-house counsellor um, if they're finding, um, uh, you know, if they're going through mental anguish as a result of being targeted. Um, so we can offer some services, but they're limited. We can't offer the kind of full insurance package that we effectively offer to our British members. Um, and um, uh, which is a shame, but for that reason, um, the, the the cost is much reduced. So it's only two pounds forty nine a month for overseas members to join. Mm, okay, um, how would one go about starting a free speech union in, say, Canada or the U.S.? Well, Jordan Peterson was um, in London um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I went to a dinner that some people I know held for him. And we did have a little chat about um, the need for a free speech union in Canada. And we're hoping to follow up. Um, and um, I hope to have you know some news on that front in the not too distant future. There is um, a free speech union in New Zealand. Um, there's also a free speech union in South Africa. Um, so, um, and, and I'm talking to someone about setting one up in Australia. Uh, so I hope to set one up in Canada or help some people set one up in Canada, uh, in the not too distant future, hopefully with, um, Jordan Peterson's support. That would be great. I mean, Canada really needs it. The situation with free speech in Canada is, is quite bad and potentially getting much worse. It seems to be, yeah. Um, uh, people kind of argue about, um, which is the worst place you know, across the Western world for free speech. It's definitely somewhere in the Anglosphere. The woke cult seems to have kind of taken root um, uh, more in the Anglosphere than any, anywhere else. 
Um, and we can discuss why that is. I think it's probably because, um, you know, the high priests of the cult speak in English. It's their first language and English mm. is the language of social media. So it becomes much easier to disseminate this, to proselytize and spread this new religion uh, in English speaking countries. Um, but um, uh, amongst those English speaking countries, I think Canada might well be, you know, um, where the woke cult has um, found most fertile ground. Um, and um, the war on free speech in Canada seems to be um, more advanced than anywhere else in the world. So I think you desperately need a free speech union, and I hope to provide you with one in the not-too-distant future. Okay, awesome. Uh, thanks so much for joining the stream. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm really glad that PayPal reinstated your accounts, but I mean, I think you're right. You've been like, this isn't, I'm not going to just kiss and make up with them. And, you know, I think the dependence on PayPal, which we, I think we've known for a little while now, but it's really, we can't avoid this truth now. Dependence on PayPal is really dangerous and a really bad idea. So I think we should get off of that if we're able to. But I also am glad that there was all this pressure and pushback, which forced them to recant. Yes. Um, but yeah, um, we have to now, you know, they're on the back foot. So that's when we have to push harder. Um, and it's not enough for them to restore my accounts. We really need them to restore the accounts of Colin Wright, uh, Gays Against Groomers, all the people that have been cancelled by PayPal for wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your work and we'll stay tuned to hear more about this uh, free speech union in Canada that's desperately needed. Thanks, Megan. Good night. Bye, Toby. Bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was sponsored by the Sayulita Submission Series, the best jiu-jitsu tournament this side of the Rio Ameca. This year's white belt tournament is happening on Saturday, October 22nd. Follow Sayulita Submission Series on Instagram for more details and to register. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, and regular private live streams. Alternatively, you can support this podcast directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors to sustain my work. You can donate any amount you like, from $5 a month to $20 to $100 or more or less. It all counts. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm.